Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thank you so much for the gift of your time. That is uh, that is the gift you are giving me right now. So I receive it. Um, I appreciate it. I value it. Thank you so much for the gift of this time together. Wanna um, wanna ask a question um, here as we start our conversation, um, and it's a question about the nature of things. When you think about the nature of things. Well, if I were going to ask, like, what's the nature of your relationship with so-and-so? Or what's the nature of um, this or that? Like, we tend to talk about the nature of things. We're talking about the quality and the substance of it. So when we talk about nature and the nature of nature, um, we're talking about the substance and the quality of it. So when you think about the natural order of things, when you think about God's good design, when you think about what God is going to do when he makes all things new again in heaven and on earth. When you think about the new heaven and the new earth and the nature of things uh, being perfected, renewed, restored, redeemed, what does that look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? And the substance and the nature um, of each and every one of those things is going to be literally perfect which is beyond our ability to imagine. But you have had some experiences in life where, you know, just couldn't imagine anything ever tasting better than this or anything ever feeling better than this. And those experiences, those tactile experiences, um, help us understand, right, the nature of things as God intends. The reverse is also true. When you have smelled something that you could never imagine smelling anything worse or tasted something and think... Like wretched, it made you gag, um, or feeling having a feeling that is so excruciatingly painful that you could never imagine anything feeling worse. Um, then you know that those things are contrary to the way God created things to be. They are contrary. They are a perversion of the nature of things, the way things God intends them to be. And so when we talk about storms in the eastern United States, a powerful storm system um, ripped across the East Coast last night, um, left a lot of severe damage in its wake, including um, two lives lost. Uh, let's see, some million, more, more than a million people at one point <clears throat> without power and um and some still today, some 400,000 homes and businesses still without power today. Um, the destruction is going to be, you know, all across your screens, everywhere you look today, collapsed buildings, toppled power lines, scattered de- debris uh, across a wide swath of the eastern seaboard. 9,000 flights were impacted by the storms just yesterday, and that will have cascading effects today. 
um, because there's a lot of people who fly in and out of New York, Philadelphia, D.C., and Atlanta, um, all, uh, all airports affected yesterday. And so the nature of things, this is what this conversation is a little bit about. Um, and, and then we say, okay, let's look a little, let's widen the aperture. Let's widen the scope of our conversation beyond just what might concern us outside our own homes or inside our own homes. And let's broaden the aperture about things we are concerned about as Christians, because God has the whole world in his hands. In fact, he has the entire cosmos in his hands. And so what is happening what is, what is going on in the natural world that we should concern ourselves with? And so I turn your attention to South Korea, where um, thousands of Boy Scouts had to be evacuated from the International Scout Jamboree. So the International Scout Jamboree was being held as a 12-day gathering of scouts from all over the world. Um, and they'd already been dealing with heat and hygiene and all kinds of controversies related to, to land use. But there are kids from literally all over the world um, in South Korea right now. And the town that they are in um, is under a tropical storm warning that is headed toward the Korean Peninsula. 37,000 scouts from 156 countries, mostly teenagers, had to fold up their tents. Uh, and board some thousand vehicles and be evacuated. Um, they're going to have stories to tell. It's not the story they thought they were going to have to tell, but my guess is they've learned something about the nature of things. The nature of nature, the fragility and vulnerability as creatures who live and thrive in a very narrow window of climate conditions. So consider how the weather affects your plans can disrupt your life, what it reveals about our dependence upon God's goodness and grace and provision and design, and prepare yourself to talk about the nature of things as God orders them. And then, yes, lift up weather prayers, weather prayers today. For whether it rains or the sun shines, whether or not storms come, physical or spiritual, relational or financial, God is God and he is good. And his mercies are new every morning. So let us be sure that when we're talking about and considering the nature of things, we consider the God who is sovereign now and forevermore. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All righty. Uh, good morning again. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Um, again, thank you so much for the gift of your time. It is precious to me. Um, what is going on out there in the world of the church, and who gets to um, who gets to lay claim to what Christians believe? So there has been a um, a recent conference. It's called the Canceled Priests Conference, and you say to yourself, you know, who's 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 worried about such things? Well. Canceled priests is a is an interesting um, emerging uh, reality in Roman Catholicism, and so at first glance, when you look at this uh, this conference and news about this conference that took place in suburban Chicago, um, at first glance, it's a pretty standard convention. 
I mean, here is the here is the description I'm reading from. Everyone's wearing bright orange lanyards. Vendors are hawking merchandise, thick theology books, glittering rosaries, plastic Virgin Mary statues. From folding tables near the ballroom, an older woman with a sensible haircut and cotton capri pants is hobbling on crutches toward the check-in desk announcing, this is why grandma doesn't go whitewater rafting. But uh, under the lanyards and the cheery faces um, is roiling anger. The people here feel betrayed and abandoned by the church which they say has forsaken its own ideals in favor of modernity and liberalism. Theirs is an extreme expression of what's become a familiar feeling among millions of Americans who feel alienated from organizations or institutions they used to trust. I didn't leave it. It left me. That's an alienation that has led to a collapse of trust even among the most faithful Um, when it comes to the most ancient institutions of the West. And here they're talking about the Roman Catholic Church. Um, So who gets to say what Christians believe or what a particular branch of Christianity believes? What will be the um, body of belief that will constitute those who are in or those who are out of a particular group? And I raise this today because this isn't just happening among Christians in the American culture. This is happening among Muslims. It's happening among Jews. It's happening among people of Hindu faith. It's even happening among atheists. Not everyone who claims to be um, associated with or aligned with a particular faith or system of faith actually represents what is historically understood to be that faith. So um, you think here about people who identify as Jews, but not Jewish, or are anti-Israel. This is a a curious admixture of relationships. People who identify as as Muslim, but not with um, Sharia law. Mm -hmm. People who identify on on a range of beliefs that would be identified as Hindu, but don't believe in the caste system. Um, or selectively don't believe in, let's say, reincarnation. Now enter Christians who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, or people who identify as Christians who don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God and certainly don't rely on it in terms of um, how they order their own lives or imagine that life should be ordered. And we talk about institutional Christianity here. You would think of Roman Catholicism as a wonderful example of a system that has a person who, once that person says, this is what we believe as Roman Catholics, then everybody says, okay, this is what we believe. If I'm a Roman Catholic, then this is what I believe. But we actually know that that's not how it's working. I mean, the Pope used to speak for all people of Roman Catholic faith. But increasingly, we witness individuals on what we would describe as the right and the left, all of whom identify as Catholic, but do not believe what the Pope says. Um, And yet they consider themselves Catholic. So what gives? What do you believe? And who gets to say whether or not what you believe is authentically representative of a particular faith or another? I'm an evangelical Christian. But what I mean by that and what others might mean when they hear that are two very different things. I'm also currently a person who is a member of a Southern Baptist congregation. 
That doesn't mean that I necessarily agree um, or give assent to everything that happens at a meeting of Southern Baptists of one variety or another. Um, And just because I used to be Methodist or used to be Presbyterian also doesn't mean that I think all those people who are now uh, in those uh, expressions of Christianity across a wide range of theology, by the way, because what it means to be Methodist today or what it means to be Presbyterian or Lutheran or Anglican, pick uh, pick your variety here, can mean almost anything. I used to be asked frequently as a Presbyterian, well, which kind? Which kind of Presbyterian are you? And then the person is making a judgment based on your answer to that question. So this, um, this conversation was provoked for me um, because there is an effort at the political level to co-opt people of faith, entire faith communities, um, for political purposes. And the case in point right now is actually Muslims in the United States of America. So when we come back, I want to describe to you how people of Islamic faith are seeking to be co-opted right now um, into an agenda that couldn't be more contrary to the historic beliefs of Islam. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. All right, I am not an expert um, on the Islamic faith. I am certainly not an expert on what it means to be Muslim in America today. Um, And so I'm relying here on a commentary offered by um, uh, Professor Ibrahim, born and raised in Egypt, He's got a couple of uh, PhDs in Islam and its history. He's a professor of Islamic studies and the director of um, the Center for the Christian Understanding of Islam at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So he he actually is an expert on these things. And so when I offer you these comments, just know I am borrowing many of them from a commentary he has posted at um, at World, which is WNG.org. And here he's reflecting on some things that have been said very publicly by some very prominent liberal women in the United States of America about what Muslims believe. Um, Now, one of them is a self-identified Muslim, um, but the other is not. So let's let's take this first. So Jen Psaki used to be the White House press secretary, um, and she is now an MSNBC host. She has her own show on Sunday mornings. And um, this past Sunday, she claimed that people um, uh, in the Republican Party, people on what she described as the right, um, were trying to recruit Muslim Americans against what she describes as, quote, another tiny marginalized group of Americans, transgender people, end quote. She said that um, there are constant attempts to distance Muslims from transgender people, um, and um, and she believes that Muslims would otherwise be aligned with the LGBTQ agenda. 
Where she gets that imagination is because she thinks that anyone in a, quote, marginalized group is going to be aligned with every other other marginalized group. And that that's that's just not true. That's false on the face of it. The other person is represent, Representative Elon uh, Omar from Minnesota. She does identify as a Muslim, and this gets back to the prior conversation. Just because somebody identifies as something, are they representative of it? Like, do you get to claim to be the authority on Roman Catholicism because you identify as Roman Catholic, even though you're pro-abortion? Like, this important questions. So she is self-identifies as a Muslim. And she urges Muslim Americans to, quote, show solidarity with the LGBTQ community. She says that solidarity for Muslims has been life-saving and that solidarity needs to exist for others whose lives are now um, need to be protected. So um, she's responding to an action of an all-Muslim city council in, um, in Michigan where the Muslim mayor opted to remove a pride flag from public grounds last month. So um, these Muslims are, as Dr. Ibrahim points out, actually honest about their Islamic commitment to refuse to fly a pride flag um, because it opposes their deep Islamic convictions. So this is a question of religious liberty It's a question of local politics. So again, let me note that in Hamtramck, Michigan, the mayor is Muslim and every elected member of the city council is Muslim. And out of their shared faith, they removed a pride flag um, from their community. Do they have the right to do that? Are they exercising their religious liberty? How do you feel about that? So um, here's the question. What does the Quran actually teach about gender identity and sexuality? If you're paying attention at all, um, it's pretty clear that uh, the teachings of Islam do not allow for, do not celebrate, do not find solidarity with, do not promote anything in the alphabet of the LGBTQ AI plus plus agenda. But who gets to say for a particular group of people, particularly a a particular people of faith, what is or is not um, right or righteous for them politically? You can't manipulate um, faith and misuse it for political purposes. I mean, you just, well, I mean, I guess you can, but you shan't. I don't know if shan't is a word, but I'd like it to be a word today for these purposes. Um, so let's resist the temptation today to suggest that people of faith, of whatever faith, of no faith at all, must therefore think and act in particular ways politically and, and let's be seeking the peace of the cities where we live. And I'm thinking today about Christians and people of non-Islamic faith living in a little town in uh, Michigan where the mayor and the city council are all people of Muslim faith and what, mu- and what that must be like um, as um, 
as Christians in that community. So give some thought to the diversity that exists in American politics, and then consider how you as a believer of one variety or another are going to actively engage. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What is uh, a woman and what does it mean to be a woman in the world today? Anybody confused about that? Anybody challenged in relationship to the way the world portrays women? The Barbie movie um, continues to set all kinds of records. Mattel has now announced a limited edition weird Barbie doll for sale um, because, you know, there weren't enough weird versions of Barbie out there already. Um We're going to talk uh, again with Katie McCoy. She is the author of To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. We're going to address some of the headlines of the day um, related to what it means to be a woman, um, particularly in relationship to, let's say, sports or, I don't know, the fact that the Netherlands has a Miss Netherlands that's actually not a woman. Yeah. Like, how do we how do we engage, um, particularly with young women in the conversation today about what it means to be a woman? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Katie McCoy is back, among other things. She hosts the BlondeOrthodoxy.com website and all things Blonde Orthodoxy. And that's how I'm going to encourage you to connect with her on uh, particularly on Facebook and on um, on YouTube, because those are great, great places uh, to follow what she's working on. She's also the author of To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. Katie, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Carmen, for having me back. So I just want to touch on some cultural moment things, but I also want to highlight um, something you recently have posted on Um, the Blonde Orthodoxy YouTube page, and that is this conversation about theology. So I'll just approach the question this way. Hey, as a woman, like, um, do I have a theology? Am I a theologian? Should I be thinking about theological things? And if so, why? And where should I look for help? (laughs) If you are a Christian, you are a theologian. And my friends, JT English and Jen Wilkin, just came out with a wonderful book called you are a theologian. You know, when I taught at seminary, I remember my favorite classes being with our student wives. And so often they would come in just wanting to learn for just the pure love and joy of gaining more knowledge. And I remember being able to tell them, you know, every time you open up your Bible, read and make a, make a conclusion, you're doing theology. We do theology every time we are even trying to make sense of the world around us from the context of a biblical worldview. You know, women, oftentimes we are very good at loving the Lord with all of our heart, but we are called to love the Lord with all of our mind as well. And what a time to be alive and do that, Carmen. We have ideas being thrown at us all the time about what it means to be a happy, whole, fulfilled human being. And they are true philosophies that we have to test against the truth of God's word to understand, are we absorbing something from the world that is going to lead us astray? Or is this true? So you guys want to um, connect with um, with lots of resources that Katie recommends. If you go to blondeorthodoxy.com and you click on the YouTube link, you'll see this latest post that 
I thoroughly enjoyed, and it is on this uh, conversation about three myths about women and theology. And then if you click in the notes Mm -hmm. below it, um, tons of great resources recommended as well. Um, If you want that direct link, you know how to just shoot me a text at 877-933-2484. I'll send you the direct link um, to that resource on YouTube. Let's um let's let's answer this question about what it means to be a woman, you know, in relationship to some of the particular confusion in the culture today. Um we could look at a range of headlines. I would like to start with um okay, so the Netherlands crowned a Miss Netherlands that is a biological man and isn't mm-hmm. pretty. Isn't pretty. Like uh, can you help me understand what's happening here? Yes. So particularly in the West, what is occurring in our culture is people are running, falling all over themselves to uh, seem as though they are jumping on the bandwagon of what is the new politically correct view of gender. And right now, both uh, legally and culturally, that is carving out more and more space where it's, it's expected to accept that a biological male is a woman if he he states his preferred gender is a woman or uh, he he confesses having the feelings of a woman. You know, the reality, though, Carmen, is when you take away gender from biological sex, the only thing that you're left with are cultural stereotypes and personal feelings. How does anyone know what it feels like to be a woman, unless you're talking about relating or having an affinity to things that are characteristically culturally feminine. And one of the the greatest travesties that's happening, especially as this ideology is being given to children at younger and younger ages, particularly through public school curricula, is that children are being told not that they can be an individual with individual personalities and interests and gifts, but to see all of their individuality through this lens of gender stereotype. And it's introducing them, not only introducing them to these concepts far too early, but it's reducing individuals to these feminine or masculine stereotypes and causing them to believe that they were born in the wrong body. So what we saw in quote unquote Miss Netherlands is just the overflow of an entire cultural shift that we are seeing bubbling up to the surface from many different spheres. And we're seeing it all come together in these moments that just make us scratch our heads and go, what in the world is happening? So um, this individual actually becomes the second openly trans competitor uh, to take Mm -hmm. part in the Miss Universe competition. I guess there's a part of me that wonders um, about the women whose this was their dream um, and this should be their competition. And so this gets us into a conversation maybe about sports as well. But Mm -hmm. um, there were there were little girls who put themselves forward in this pageant um, and a man won. They got beaten by a man. Now, mm-hmm. I, I feel confident that when they were little girls, they never imagined they'd be competing for the prize against a man. The same is true in sports. So maybe we could pivot to um, to that conversation as well. I'm just going to read here from something that happened on Sunday. Martina Navratilova, um, she uh, 
she tweeted out in relationship to a decision made by the U.S. Tennis Association and their policy allowing biological males who transition and live as women to compete against female athletes. So according to the USTA website, those who are born male may compete against women if the athlete, quote, has declared that her gender identity is female, end quote, and that hormone therapy has been administered in a verifiable manner and for a sufficient length of time to minimize gender-related advantages in sport competition. Well, Katie, doesn't that just acknowledge that there are gender-related advantages in sport competition and that biological men shouldn't be allowed to compete against biological women? I, I just, it, just seems, it seems ridiculous on the face of it. That's a great point. And in fact, you remind me of these uh, female athletes, college athletes, swimmers, and they, uh, a couple of them have done different congressional testimonies talking about their experience where they were either competing against a biological male or they were on the same team and just expected to accept it. So a couple of things that you mentioned there in that regulation, it is a myth that someone can hormonally alter themselves to become a different gender or a different biological sex. Let's say for the sake of argument that uh, a biological male could be pumped with as much estrogen to suppress that natural testosterone. What it doesn't change is the difference between muscle fibers between male and female. Men have more of what's called fast twitch muscle fibers. It means they can have a strong burst of energy Uh, like a sprint or uh, lifting something really heavy. Women have more of what's called slow twitch muscle fibers. Now, comparatively, not only do we have less upper and lower body strength, but where those slow twitch muscle fibers come into play is that women may not be able to pull a car by a rope, but they can sustain unrelenting contractions in labor for 18 hours without quitting. In other words, it's a different kind of strength that is suited to what the human body, by God's design, is created to do. So this idea that someone can become another gender with a hormonal synthetic construction is just false. But then there's the other element, Carmen, and there is the cultural one as well. So many of these female athletes are just told that they do not have a choice. They have to be okay with it. They are compelled in some cases to undress in a locker room in front of a biological male. And one female uh, athlete testified how many swimmers like she herself were survivors of sexual abuse and they were forced to be in this situation. When you ask why is all of this happening, it all comes down to the power dynamic Uh, Feminism uh, of the 1960s has essentially turned in and devoured itself. There is a new gender minority that is receiving all the privilege, and it is now transgender people. Yeah, I just I I just confess that it um, I mean, I'm not left shaking my head about very many things, but I I am left shaking my head um, on this one. Um, And even in the medical community, there seems to be just this delusional buy-in, um, you know, where, where they're saying that gender transitioning, including the irreversible damage of hormone therapy, uh, is, mm-hmm. is, is not what on the face of it it is. Can we talk about that when we come back?
Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that Katie does in um, in her book is unpack these myths. She's identified some of them just in this conversation today. But there is a lot of confusion over female identity. Um, and she's equipping us with how Christians can respond. The book is To Be a Woman. We'll continue our conversation with Katie McCoy in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with uh, Katie McCoy. We're talking about what it means to be a woman in the culture today, the confusion over female identity and how Christians can respond Her book is uh, To Be a Woman. You can find Katie and lots of resources related to this at um, blondeorthodoxy.com. I'm happy to send you direct links if you're interested. Um, We have arrived at a point in our culture, Katie, where it, I mean, it's as if confusion reigns. And it it is as if um, those of us who believe we see things clearly are told that we are um, wrong, and we have no real um, opportunity or ability in the larger or the wider culture to speak truth um, without being absolutely castigated. And so um, I want to talk about the medical community, and I want to imagine what it's like to be a Christian in the medical world today, um, and maybe we speak directly to them about what's happening um, in this gender-affirming effort uh, or gender-affirming care effort within medicine. Can you, can you talk with us about gender transitioning and what kind of damage is actually being done through hormone therapy, let alone uh, surgery? Uh, the medical community, the, the loudest and largest voices, want to give the impression that there is a unified front uh, among doctors and, and therapists and pediatricians and endocrinologists and psychologists, they, they want to give this impression that there's no variation in what medical professionals and mental health professionals would say is the right thing to do. And that right thing to do is an approach called gender affirming care, where you essentially agree with the person's preferred or stated gender and then uh, alter the body to fit the mind. What you don't hear about in the news, and by the way, this also speaks to the role that our mass media in our country has in uh, proliferating these ideas. What you don't hear are these suppressed minority voices. Doctors who are sounding the alarm, doctors like Miriam Grossman, who just wrote a book uh, talking about the, uh, the effects of this transgender craze. And she has her eyes wide open. There are other doctors who they are not uh, Christians. They're not even social conservatives. They're just looking at 
the patterns of rushing children into these hormonal and surgical treatments and saying, hold on, this is wrong. We're not helping our patients. We're not even fixing the mental health issues that are underlying this gender trans or this gender dysphoria. The other thing that is very difficult is that many in the medical community are suppressing the research that goes against the political narrative. So for instance, there was a, a extensive study done among uh, people who had what was called rapid onset gender dysphoria. And that's essentially, you put it in kind of what you typically see, teen girls who all of a sudden say that they're transgender. And this study confirmed a previous study that said, you know, this is very much a socially influenced phenomenon. This is something that is influenced by social media, by peer groups, and what's called peer contagion. And uh, we can't say that all of a sudden there's this burst of trans-identifying people that were always there. It's just society has become more tolerant. Uh, you know, one thing with that argument too, Carmen, if society is just suddenly more tolerant, how come we're not seeing multiple generations of trans people? Why is this located in just the younger generation, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, and then a little bit in uh, millennial generations as well? And so what people need to recognize is we have to be our own advocates. We have to uh, do our own research and recognize that there are competent medical professionals who are doing research that defies the political narrative. And when that happens, a lot of times uh, people not only will try to suppress that research, but they will try to get it discredited, get it uh, removed or or retracted. Um, In fact, in one case, though, there was a study that said uh, gender affirming care was so beneficial. It helped decrease depression. Well, Less than a year later, those authors had to retract their research and admit that it was completely false. But did that get the media attention that the supposed and false results did? Oh, no, no, no. We have not only a medical community, but we have a mass media that in many times are colluding together to continue a political narrative. Katie, when you um, think about encouraging parents and grandparents today, can you just, um, can you talk to the grandma? She goes by Mimi. Can you talk to Mimi right now? Um, she's yes. got a, a high school senior, um, granddaughter is a high school senior who is, you know, in the arts community um, and mm. is therefore imagining things about herself because of the community that she wants to be accepted by. Um but she has a, you know, she has a seed of faith, right? This is a child that's certainly been raised in the context of the Christian community. Can you just talk to Mimi right now about being a woman and encouraging, um, encouraging her granddaughter to be a woman? That's, uh, that's just so heartbreaking. I've, I've met, I remember in one church, and uh, this wasn't a, a mega church either. It was a, a uh, relatively normal sized church meeting two grandmothers who said the same testimony that their granddaughters have all of a sudden become transgender and they don't know how to relate and they don't want to lose that relationship. First, I would say grandmothers, 
you're about to have a second act like you could not believe in your older years. Uh, young women are needing your wisdom and your influence. Um, I would make sure keep that relationship. Just keep the relationship. Recognize that this uh, young woman is going through things that their gender dysphoria is a symptom of. More often than not, it is a symptom. You mentioned that peer influence or wanting to fit in or, or just feeling out of place in the world. Who, going through their teenage years, didn't feel that? But we have a culture that is essentially pathologizing puberty and telling young women that if they don't feel total euphoria at being a woman, that there must be something wrong with them. The other thing to recognize is that in all likelihood, those young women are not really asking critical questions like, why do they feel like they are a boy trapped in a girl's body? How long have they felt? Did something occur that made them begin to feel this way? And opening the door, asking those critical thinking questions, and then pointing them to truth in love. Believe, saying just very simply, I believe God knit you together in your mother's womb. You were made in love. And down to the 23rd chromosome, he designed you according to his intent to determine whether you were male or female. And until you are in a right relationship with your creator, you will never understand what it means to be a woman and how to relate to yourself and to others. Katie, as always, thank you so much. Um, it's an encouragement to know that you're out there advocating for good theology and for helping us understand the times in which we live and really equipping us as Christians to respond. So thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. That's Katie McCoy, author of To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. You can also find Katie and connect with her at blondeorthodoxy.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thanks so much for your engagement on the text line. You can always text me, 877-933-248. Eight four. Appreciate your interaction there, your recommendations, your comments, your encouragement, your prayer concerns, all of it. You should also visit us at MyFaithRadio.com. We've got a ton of resources there. And if you're new to Faith Radio, we would love to send you a welcome pack. So um, let us know. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Tell us you're new. You'd like to know more. We'd love to um, send you some encouraging materials. We want to be a resource to you. Um, not just radio resource or podcast resource or online resource. We want to be all those things, but I want to um, really know what your concerns are and how we can encourage you in your walk of faith. If you're not a believer, we'd, we'd love to invite you to consider that. Uh, maybe you're curious. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard a program that raised these kinds of questions. Um, we'd, we'd love to help you find your way to the answers that we know are life-giving, and those answers are found in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. Um, The advancement of His kingdom is what I'm in the world to do, and I'm passionate about it, and I can't imagine um, living without Him. And so if you're living without Him, I want you to consider what life might be like living with Him, Um, because it is great. Um, and, And maybe you've not even imagined yet a life that is great and full of joy and um, abounds to eternal life. But there is one, and it's available, and it's in Jesus. 
we'd like for you to know him. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.